Good evening, everybody. Again, it's a privilege just to be able to share again from the book of Revelation. And again, let's just commit our time of studying uh, the Word of God this evening. Let's just entrust that time to the Lord this evening. Father, we just thank you. We can come again into your presence to look and study your Word. And just pray, Lord, that again, as we look at what you've revealed in your Word, uh, what is going to happen in the future, although so much of what we see here uh, has to do with judgment. When we hear and we read about what is going to happen, we are just thankful, Lord, that we are not going to be here to experience the judgments that are going to come upon the face of the earth to the ungodly. So we just thank you again for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Tonight we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 11, which deals with the two witnesses. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So where the scripture talks here about a reed, like a measuring rod, a reed is a hollow bamboo-like cane plant that grew in the Jordan Valley and it's of a very light weight it's very rigid and it was in those days very commonly used as a measuring rod and where John says here that I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying rise and measure the temple of God um, to measure the temple out signifies God's ownership. And the temple of God itself refers to the Holy of Holies or the Holy Place, not to the entire temple uh, context. And what we see in Scripture is that a rebuilt temple will exist during the time of the uh, tribulation. We read about that in Daniel chapter 9. Jesus references it in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, and it's also referred to in uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. And where John is told here, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. That is the court of the Gentiles, which was uh, during the time of Herod's temple when Jesus ministered on the earth. Um, that was the court that the Gentiles were allowed uh, to go into. And they were forbidden to enter the inner court. And if you did that, they did that on penalty of death. So John is instructed here not to measure the outer court. And what that symbolizes is God's rejection of the unbelieving Gentiles who have uh, oppressed his covenant people, the people of Israel. And it says here, and they will tread the holy city underfoot 
for 42 months. So it mentions a specific time period there, 42 months, which is three and a half years. And in past history, we've seen Assyria, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greeks, the Romans, all oppressed Jerusalem in ancient times. But this verse here refers to a future time of a devastating destruction and oppression of Jerusalem by the forces of the Antichrist for a period of 42 months. And this is the three and a half year period which covers the <coughs> second half of the tribulation and coincides with the uh, visibly evil manifestation and career of the Antichrist. And it's during that time that a lot of the Jews will be sheltered by God in the wilderness. We'll read that in the next chapter when we deal with chapter, um, chapter 12. Verse 3, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouths and devours their enemies. So does the Bible actually provide or give any information as to who these two witnesses are? One thing that the Bible does tell us <coughs> in Malachi 4 verse 5 and Jesus also referenced it in Matthew 17, verse 11, um, that the prophet Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And in Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 17, um, if we had to read it from verse 10, and his disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? In verse 11, Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. And here, Jesus is referring to John the Baptist who came in the spirit and in the power of the prophet uh, Elijah. But Malachi is very specific that Elijah is going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Jesus' first coming didn't have to do with the coming or the, the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So the two witnesses here, one of them is um, possibly Elijah, from what we read from Scripture. Um, People have mentioned that the second witness could be the prophet Moses. And we will see why people actually come to that um, uh, conclusion. So if we continue reading in Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, uh, Revelation chapter 11, my apologies. It says there in verse 5, If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouths and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, 
he must be killed in this manner. And they have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So where it talks there about in verse 5, fire proceeds from their mouth. This refers to literal fire and that the two witnesses are going to be invincible during their ministry. They are going to be protected by the supernatural um, power of God. And it says there that they have power to shut up uh, the heavens. And miracles have often authenticated God's messengers. We saw that with Moses. We saw that with Elijah. We saw that with Elisha. And here, bringing a three and a half year drought as Elijah did uh, in the Old Testament times is actually going to add even more torment. Or we can even use the word immeasurable torment to those who are experiencing the worldwide disasters that are going to take place during the tribulation period. And it's actually going to exacerbate the um, hatred uh, of uh, the world to the two witnesses. And where they are turning waters to blood, the earth's water has already been devastated by the effects of the second and third trumpets and will become undrinkable and having a three and a half year drought is going to add immensely to the suffering of people where there is going to be uh, very little rain caused by the drought brought about by the the witnesses and where it says they turn waters to blood that is um, where some people think that one of the witnesses may be Moses but if we have a look at scripture, we see that there are two people mentioned in scripture who have not yet died. The first person that ascended into heaven just before the time of the flood was Enoch, and that took place about 5,000 years ago. And Elijah went up into heaven some 2,900 years uh, ago. So it is possible without being dogmatic about it, that the two witnesses could be Elijah, from what we read in Malachi. The other one could possibly be um, Enoch. And the reason why um, I bring that possibility forward is that the author to the Hebrews actually defines a principle that is destined for man. And it's for all men, and nobody's excluded from that. Where scripture says that it is destined for man to die once and after that to face judgment. We read about that in Hebrews 9.27. And the only two people that haven't experienced a death is Elijah and Enoch. So God has possibly reserved them for a particular purpose where he wants to use them in the future. So we only have glimpses of this in Scripture. So I'm just putting forward that possibility that um, the two witnesses are Elijah, from what we see in uh, the book of Malachi, that um, Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord, and that the other one could possibly be um, Enoch. Enoch. 
And it also says there that besides having power over the waters to turn them to blood, they are able to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And nobody is able to uh, come against them. They are supernaturally protected. Uh, fire comes um, out of their mouths to devour those who would try to kill them. And the scripture also says that if anyone wants to harm them, if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in the same manner in which they actually want to harm the two witnesses. And so they are going to minister in the latter part um, of the tribulation, the three and a half years, which is called the Great Tribulation. And what is interesting, it's in the middle part of the tribulation that uh, the abomination that causes desolation that we read about in um, uh, Daniel chapter 9 and that Matthew refers to in his gospel um, in Matthew 24, it's where the Antichrist reveals his true colors, that he is Antichrist, that he is the false Christ. What is interesting is that Satan's false messiah will minister for the same period that the true Messiah ministered on the earth. Jesus' ministry on the earth was for a period of three and a half years. The Antichrist will minister. Satan's false Messiah will minister for the same period, three and a half years. And then in Revelation in 11 verse 7, we read there, and when they finish their testimony towards the end of the uh, great tribulation to the towards the end of the three and a half years, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. And the beast is none other than the Antichrist. And there are 36 references to this person in the book of Revelation. And that he comes out of the bottomless pit indicates that his power is satanic. And when the ministry of the two witnesses is completed, God is actually going to withdraw his supernatural uh, protection. And the Antichrist will then be able to accomplish what many people had tried dying to do, that he's going to kill them. Verse 8 tells us, and their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is Jerusalem, which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now again, we see references here to where the two witnesses actually ministered. They ministered in the great city, which is also called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, referring to the city of Jerusalem. We see that the, the ministry 
of the two witnesses, that their focus is the city of Jerusalem. Uh, we've also read about where God had sealed the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. We see that during the time of the tribulation that God again turns his attention to the people of Israel. And the sad thing is, is although we saw that um, looking at uh, the previous chapter that there are going to be many people that are going to come to salvation, that God allows the tribulation period and the judgments that uh, come upon the earth to give an opportunity for people to repent. The purpose of the time of the tribulation is also for God again to work with his ancient people Israel and to bring them to a position where they will realize who the true Messiah is. And before Jesus was crucified, he actually looked out over Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you would not. And then he said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And where he talks about them seeing him again is when he returns and comes with a second coming to the Mount of Olives. So we see here in verse 9 that those from the peoples, the tribes, tongues and nations will see the dead bodies of the two witnesses lying uh, in the streets. And the scripture says there in verse 9 that their bodies are going to lie there for three and a half days. And that they are not going to allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts to one another. Because the two prophets that had tormented those who dwell on the earth, these two prophets, were now dead. And when one allows bodies to lie in the street by refusing to actually bury one's enemies, it's a way of dishonoring them and showing absolute contempt for them. And in the Old Testament, God actually forbade this practice. And also here where we saw in the previous verses where uh, God identifies Jerusalem as a city like Sodom and Egypt, stresses the city's wickedness. And the Jewish population will be apparently, from what we've already mentioned, be the focus uh, of the witnesses' ministry and probably leading many of them uh, to the Lord. But after their bodies have lied, uh, lain in the streets for three and a half days, the world is going to be watching. And we know today that the whole world can watch events because of the visual media that they have. And uh, the scripture says here, that um, they will rejoice and make merry and send gifts to one another, um, rejoicing over the fact that these prophets that had tormented them had actually now died. But verse 11 tells us that after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell 
on those who saw them. That these two witnesses die again emphasizes that one of the witnesses cannot be Moses because Moses has already died. And the scripture is very clear on the point that it's appointed unto man to die once and then comes judgment. And verse 12 says, And they heard a voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. So their festivities that they were having, uh, where they were making merry and sending gifts to one another, these festivities were short-lived as God vindicates his faithful witnesses by resurrecting them, and they ascend in to heaven in a cloud. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell, referring to the city of Jerusalem. And in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly, which is the seventh trumpet. So we see here that um, when the two witnesses ascend into heaven, there is a shattering earthquake and there is a, a loss of life, possibly primarily amongst the leaders of the Antichrist's uh, forces. And where it says, and the rest of the Jews that were still living would not yet have come to faith in Christ and um, realized that Jesus is actually the true Messiah, gave glory to the God of heaven. And then verse 14, where it says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming now, which is the seventh trumpet. And we read about that now in 11 verse 15. And then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones, fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and you have reigned. So the seventh trumpet includes the seven bowl judgments, which we we'll read about in chapter 16, and all the events that are going to be leading up to the establishment of the millennial kingdom in chapter 20. And where it says, uh, we give thanks to you, O God Almighty, the one who is and who was to come, because you have taken your great power and you have reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. Where it talks about there, uh, about God's wrath, that God is going to pour out one day his wrath on rebellious men is a major theme of Scripture, not only here in the book of Revelation. We read about it in Isaiah 24, Isaiah chapter 26 and 30. It's also referenced in Ezekiel 38. And then we see there in verse 18 as well too, and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward 
your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. God's final outpouring of wrath includes judging the dead, which we know is going to be the great white throne judgment. God also rewards his saints, the raptured church, the tribulation saints. And finally, what we will read about in verse uh, 20, that the time of the dead that they should be judged, where God will condemn all unbelievers to the lake of fire forever. And then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Now where we see here, where there is a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was a, um, uh, a piece of furniture, if we can use that uh, terminology, in the Old Testament tabernacle and also in the temple. And it symbolized God's presence of atonement that covered his people. So every year, the priest, the high priest, used to enter into the Holy of Holies and he used to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and the earthly Ark, as we understand from what God revealed to Moses, was only a picture of this heavenly one. And it was there that God provided mercy and atonement for sin. And here we see the heavenly Holy of Holies being uh, opened up. And it speaks of God's uh, saving, new covenant, um, redeeming purpose in the midst of all this judgment. That is what uh, the ark actually symbolizes there. This chapter finishes off again with uh, where we uh, see that John describes lightnings, noises, thunderings, earthquake, and great hail. And this now is what was anticipated in previous chapters is now becoming a terrifying reality as the bold judgments now are about to come upon the earth. And that concludes our study for tonight. And Lord, again, we just thank you again for the opportunity to study your word that you have revealed very clearly what is actually going to happen in the future. I just pray for each person that has been listening to the study tonight. And I just thank you, Lord. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. And I just want to pray for each person. Commit each person to you. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power to him, both now and forevermore. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.